I took, I got the privilege of taking care of the love of my life in a way that I feel I gave her, I gave her a, a good life after her heart attack. I supported her and everything she did. I, we, we were a team. Uh, I went to every doctor visit. Uh, I, uh, I wrote her speeches and we worked together on her speeches that she gave. Uh, we were a team. Mm-hmm. I drove her when she felt crappy to these different things where she was, she would be sick in the car on the way to one of these speeches or, or to the heart lunch or whatever. And as soon as she got on stage, she lit up. Mm-hmm. She could get, she could pull herself out of a funk. Mm-hmm. Just being in front of people and being Susie. And she had her wingman there to catch her. And I was, I was there. I was. She the, had her wingman. I was her agent. <laughs> and, and a damn good agent you are. <laughs> Well, thank you. Not resentful for one day of your life. That makes you a superstar, Howard. Today on Sunny Side Up, our very special guest is Dr. Howard Dubin. And he is going to share his love story and his marriage and his journey with the love of his life, Susie Dubin. How they navigated sickness and a heart attack, and all of the good and bad that comes with the ups and downs of being married for over 50 years. This is his story in his own words, and it's pretty darn special. I met Susie, the love of my life, in 1967. Our first date was in October. We were engaged the following February, and then we were married two months later in April. So we moved pretty fast. I would say so. (laughs) October, you met, February engaged, April married. Yep. And today is- And today is a very special day. Okay. Because on February 9th of 1968, it was a Friday night, we got engaged. I proposed to her. And Valentine's Day was the middle of next week. So that was the closest weekend to Valentine's Day. And we got engaged on February 9th, 1968. We had a very short engagement period. And interesting that we got married on April 6th of that year, which was two days after Martin Luther King was assassinated. So there was a lockdown in Detroit and suburbs where where you couldn't do uh, a curfew, where you had a curfew. So uh, instead of having 300 people at 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 a hall that was rented for our wedding, we got married in a neighbor's house across the street from where Susie lived in front of a hundred people instead of 300 people uh, with her uncle who was a violinist with the symphony orchestra in Detroit playing a a child's violin. And we were married in their uh, hallway coming into the house with the people on the side of us. And it was just a beautiful wedding. I mean, it was just a beautiful house wedding. 
And uh, so anyway. Well, Howie, can I just say, yeah, the name of this podcast is Sunny Side Up. And how is that for an example of making sunshine out of a storm? I mean, that's incredible. You didn't yes. even skip a beat. Yes. Yes. Uh, and you describe it as amazing and wonderful, even though it wasn't originally what you planned. It really was amazing and wonderful. Uh, and we uh, we had a beautiful honeymoon after that in, in Puerto Rico. And uh, we started our lives together uh, back here in, in Michigan. And uh, we had two beautiful children. Uh, first Arthur, and then Matthew, who are, are wonderful, and uh, we were, we are so proud of them. Uh, and then, uh, for the first twelve years of our marriage, I, as an optometrist, uh, had an office by then of my own and ran my office, and Susie took care of the kids. Uh, basically, and uh, that was our role for the first 12 years. And then uh, after the kids started growing up and going and being in school, Susie eventually came uh, into our practice, our optometric office, and ultimately became the office manager. And so from that point on, we were a team in the office working together uh, very successfully uh, in terms of, of our staff and the patients and everybody worked out really well. Uh, so our lives from that point on were intertwined on a daily basis. Uh, we were always together. And uh, and really loved it. And uh, then in 1999, which was, we're fast forwarding now from 1981 or two to 1999, uh, I was at a point where I wanted to sell my practice and retire. And I retired in September of 1999. And Susie, who was six years younger than me, uh, had no intention of retiring. She was gonna stay with the new owner that we had sold our practice. We had sold our practice and she was gonna stay with the new owner and be the office manager. So in September of 1999, I'm out of the picture of the office Susie stays with the new owner and she's happy and he's happy with her and the office is running well and I'm retired and I'm happy. In December of that year, specifically December 29th, which is three months after I'm out and having a nice retirement, Susie's with the new guy who owns it. On December 29th, Susie's driving home from the office and 
in the car has a severe heart attack in the car, which we found out, of course, after. So she got herself off to the side eventually in front of a Starbucks and rammed on the horn and they got her to the hospital. And they had to do, I, I could give you details, but they had to do uh, stents and other kinds of things to, uh, to take care of her. And ultimately it was found out that she, she had a severe heart attack and most of her heart from the top down was destroyed. And she only had what, what was called a, an ejection fraction of, of 17. That means in layman's terms, she only had a, a capacity of 17% to push blood out of her heart. So we were told that night that we had all gathered at the hospital and my brother and her brother and family, she might not make it through the night. This happened, she, this happened around six o'clock at night and they, they put in two stents and they told us, prepare, she might not make it through the night. And I was devastated, we were all devastated and I didn't leave the hospital and uh, the next day, as daybreak came, we, I was in the room with her in intensive care, and she was hooked up to probably 15 or 20 different things. And her first words to me were, am I gonna die? And I said, no, you're not gonna die. And she said, well, if I live, and I swear this is true, she said, if I live, I wanna join the American Heart Association and do what I can for people with heart disease. And she was really in bad shape. We, did, we still didn't even know if she was gonna live really the next day. And she was in intensive care for six days and I, I didn't leave her. I stayed in the hospital. I slept there those nights. And she walked out of that hospital two weeks later. And as she told in her lectures that she gave for the Heart Association, she looked up at the sky and said, you won't regret this. She Meaning did. she was gonna make it worth, she's gonna make, she found a new purpose to her life. And we both found a new purpose to our lives. Her purpose was the American Heart Association. My purpose was to take care of her. And she got home and she, with tremendous damage to her heart, she never got better than that 17% 
ejection fraction. She stayed alive for 21 years. And I lost her last August. After 21 years, she was in a lot of pain and it, it was a blessing that she no longer was in pain, but very difficult for me. And so it's been six months and I'm doing much better now. And uh, I can I can focus on, on life and uh, I'm in a much better place than I was six months ago when she passed. So we, we had a really beautiful marriage and the 21 years that she that she had after her heart attack uh we both were grateful and we talked about it a lot at the end of her life how grateful we were and uh and neither one of us felt that our lives were wasted uh people would say to me, gee, it's a shame You're, you've been retired for all these years and you can't do things, you can't go on trips. I, I never thought in those terms. I was lucky to have her and be able to totally take care of her because she was so weak, especially the last six months of her life or nine months of her life that I, I really had to be with her all the time. I had to do everything for her. And uh, I never felt sorry for myself. I always felt in a strange way that it was an honor to take care of her because I loved her so much. Howie, if I could just interject really quickly and yeah. say that because I know you on a personal level and you and I, our relationship started, um, I started work for the American Heart Association in 2006. And so that's when you and I met because of Susie's devotion to the American Heart Association, which also became your devotion to the American Heart Association and fulfilling that new purpose that she had. But I can honestly say that you are unlike any other caretaker I've ever met. And being a caretaker is incredibly challenging. Um, all of the challenges that Susie had, which we you know, you and I can never understand, we can only empathize with, right? Because our heart, our hearts never operated at 17%. Um, but I mean, you were just right there on the front line the whole time. And I would describe your marriage from what I've witnessed as one of the greatest love stories of all time. How do you, how do you tell our listeners? How do you tell people that don't know you how do you fall in love over and over again with somebody that is that sick and that you're caring for that deeply? What does that love look like? Really deep, uh, tremendous empathy for what she was going through uh, and, and knowing that if the situation was reversed, she would be there for me on the same level. Uh, I, I never, I never during the 21 years that I took care of her felt denied. I mean, I, I because I loved her so much. And 
I had such great respect for her, for her intellect, for her. I mean, she was an amazingly talented, uh, giving person. Uh, she was ultimately on, the, on a heart transplant list at University of Michigan, which never happened. She never got the heart. But she actually told her cardiologist that if someone much younger than me qualifies for that heart, I want you to give it to them. And the cardiologist said, never heard anybody make that request before who's on a heart transplant list. They want that. They want the heart. Well, she wanted a heart, but that was the kind of person she was. She, she was very caring for other people and driven to take care of to uh, champion for other people. But I would also, uh, to go back uh, with the Heart Association, what she did for the Heart Association was do public speaking, motivational speaking. Uh, motivational speaking for people to take care of themselves, to know that women especially were vulnerable to heart disease because of uh, because women had been neglected compared to men in, in uh, medical care and, and different symptoms that women have uh, for heart disease and so forth. So she was a motivational speaker for the Heart Association and became very, very close to the, to the uh, employees, for lack of a better term, of the Heart Association all the way up to the leaders, I mean, all the leaders. Alicia, you could speak to, to their connection to her, but she was loved by them. And she, she loved the fact that she, she would speak at, at, at the Heart Walk, at the Heart Ball, at, at, at all of these events that the Heart Association would have. And uh, she was revered by the Heart Association. So her life was well spent after the Heart Association. And she appreciated that. She never felt, woe is me, I have heart disease. You know, I mean, she was never, in fact, she always said in her speeches, I'm not a victim. I don't think of myself as a victim. So her life, even though the last 21 years was, her, her physical health was diminished the quality of her life in terms of what she was accomplishing is just beyond words successful. So the irony of her heart is that she was on the waiting list to get a new heart and she was so giving and selfless that she would have given up that heart if it was presented to her. So the irony is that this woman had a heart so big, even though her heart wasn't fully functioning. It's almost like I can say from experience and knowing her and loving her that when she walked into a room, the room lit up. She was larger than life. And her humor, you'll never forget her humor. She made the worst situations in life 
with laughter. She filled them with laughter. And sometimes she pushed you a little bit out of your comfort zone. And I loved that about her, you know, even with the highest up executives at the American Heart Association, she could make them blush with some of the wild things she would say. I mean, she also survived breast cancer, right? And of course, you know, this, what a freaking fighter, a warrior, this woman, this wife of yours was. And what I love so much and why I wanted this to be the greatest love story we could possibly share the week of Valentine's Day is because of Susie and her giant heart and the love she gave and the way she lit up a room. But Howard, it's you too. It's what you brought to her. It's how you brought her to life. And I've only been married for eight years. I've been with my partner for 14 and I, I strive to have the kind of marriage that you did, the kind of love that you did and the sacrifices that you made. And I just think we live in a world now where it's easier to get divorced. Would that be the right way to say it? Yes, I think so. Yeah. What, what, what sustained your marriage? What made your love so strong? My respect for her of who she was, not to mention my love for her, the, the person that she was. Uh, and I was, when I first saw her with that shocking red hair, uh, she was gorgeous. And I just fell in love right away. And so what sustained my marriage was the love that I had for her, the empathy that I had for what she was going through. And I wanted to make her life as comfortable as possible. And I sustained that feeling for 21 years after her heart attack. Right to the last day that I held her hands as she she literally died in my arms at the hospital. And it was all the way to that very end that my love never waned. It takes my breath away. Um, It takes my breath away because I know you and anybody listening that doesn't know you, that takes your breath away to witness that kind of love. she was a very special person to the community. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't just to yeah. me. Uh, she made a memorable impression on anybody that she came in contact with in any way. She did. She did right up to the person that when you got a pedicure to the person at the restaurant. I mean, yeah. anyone she met, she yeah. became their best friend. Yeah. And she just yeah. instant. <laughs> I always said, I always said that. She could get on an elevator with somebody on the 20th floor. And by by the time they get down on the first floor, they're best friends going out to lunch. That was Susie. She walked in. I'll tell you a little story that happened when she, you you mentioned her breast cancer and, and she would at U of M, she went, uh, she, she had, uh, she was in a room with a bunch of patients who were I don't know, they were, I forgot what it was, but they were getting mammograms or something. I don't know what it was. And the room was very quiet and everybody was sad. And, and Susie stood up, this happened. 
stood up in the room and said, wait a minute, this room is too quiet. We got to start talking here. We got to have a little laughter. Somebody tell a joke. And she got that room moving with all these people that were sad and worried. They all had breast cancer. That was Susie. That, 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 that was Susie. Yes. She had the whole room talking, laughing, because she pushed people out of their sad zone into a, into a happier zone. She was the definition of the sunny side, for sure. Yeah. That was her. Her bright light just shined everywhere. I know. Yeah. I know. And I miss her every damn day. Yeah. yeah. Every damn day. Yeah, as do I. Yeah. Yeah. Do you believe in soulmates? Was she your oh, soulmate? Absolutely. Absolutely. We 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 would have conversations where I would say something and she would say, You're reading my mind. And the other way around, she would say something and, and it was something that I had been thinking about, just out of the blue, not something that's related to anything that that we were doing at the time or seeing at the time. But we, we literally were reading each other's minds in that way. So absolutely a soulmate. I'm, I can tell you, uh, Alicia, or repeatedly, you know this story about uh, at the end of her life, we talked a lot about that. She knew she was dying. And we talked a lot about it. And I said to her, I want you to show me a sign after you die so that I know you're okay. And she said, what do you want me to do? And I said, show me a rainbow. And Alicia, you know the story. I got more than one rainbow. I got a rain, I got, I got an impressive rainbow that on a bright sunny day, I was with my grandchildren and my son and Matthew took a picture of me with the kids on a bright sunny day at Belle Isle, no rain, just a bright sunny day. And in the picture, which I have, there's a rainbow in front of me that crosses my body. I can prove it. I've, I've got the picture. I always knew she would give us those signs. <laughs> I always knew it. And I think I think you got the sign too. And mm -hmm. uh, uh, yeah. yeah. So I have a light in yeah. my kitchen. I have a light in my kitchen that um, never flickered, never did anything until Susie died, and it flickers all the time now. And in fact, my husband changed it because it, you know, when a light flickers, you swap it out, you change out the light bulb and you think maybe something's wrong with the light bulb. So he changed it and I'm not even kidding. It switched to a different light bulb. The one right next to it now starts flickering so much to the point where now my boys, my boys called Susie banana. So she was their banana and they say, hi, banana. And they know that's her when the light is mm. flickering. Um, there's little signs in the rainbows and in the lights flickering. And I truly believe that. I'll give you another um, example. Yeah, uh, yeah. A very, very close friend of ours from the Heart Association, who you know, 
uh, has a severely challenged daughter with a chromosome issue that makes her severely challenged. And she, before Susie died, she was getting multiple seizures every day. And Susie passed away on August 26th. And since September 6th, the next few days, this child has not had a seizure since. And this was a, these are people that Susie deeply loved and they loved her. That's, has not had a seizure since. So that's incredible. And I know who you're talking about. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that Susie is protecting that family yeah. and watching over them. Yeah. And this brings me to the point of, if you believe that before we come here, that we predetermine our birth, our life and our death. And we know at one time what that's all gonna look like and who we're gonna meet and who we're gonna fall in love with and when we'll die. I really think that Susie knew the legacy she had to leave and when it was her time to go and that we need her up there. We need this warrior in the sky to give us these rainbows, to give us this hope, to send us this energy of healing. Do you believe that? You know, actually I do. I, I do believe it. And I believe that she's doing the kind of good that she would want to be thought of uh, while she was here. Uh, I, I really do believe that. I believe that, that there are things that are happening now in people's lives, who, that she, who especially those that she loved, uh that that indicate that that she's doing good now yeah uh i really believe that yeah she's a she's she was a blessing to make to human humanity as far as i'm concerned not to mention me personally and my family and friends so how do you think now that Susie is no longer physically with us, how do we carry on her legacy, whether it's through the American Heart Association or through loving one another? What does Susie's legacy look like now that she's not physically here? Well, certainly the American Heart Association was her major love and focus as far as that kind of nonprofit thing and what they do and uh, the money that they contribute to research uh, and so forth. So I, I think that's a large part of her legacy. Uh, they're going to have an event this year, which was her favorite event of the events that they had, which is a, a heart walk, although this year it may be virtual. But uh, teams can uh, teams can form to uh, raise money for the walk, for the Heart Association. And so this year, the team, uh, our team, excuse me, is going to be Susie Dubin Memorial Heart Walk team. And so I think that's her, I think that's part of her legacy is, is, uh, is that we, 
succeed in that fundraising event in her name. Uh, but I think her legacy beyond the Heart Association is that she was a, a great humanitarian who loved people and loved to take care of people and went out of her way if she could help anybody. I mean, if, I mean, uh, in, even small, in small ways and large ways, uh, that was her focus. Her focus was, was helping people. So I, I think that that's her main legacy is a great humanitarian. And Howard, how do you do life without Susie? I mean, you said it's been six months. Yeah. And it was like heart-wrenchingly beyond explanation or beyond anything you could ever explain yeah. how difficult that was. But what, is, what does that look like for you? Well, after I lost her, Initially, I, I just couldn't focus on anything. People would say things to me and it, and it would just not penetrate and I couldn't really think straight. Uh, my kids were worried about me. Everybody was worried about me at that time. And uh, I, I reached a point where being alone uh, in the house was, it was almost like a panic situation where I can't take this anymore. And then I just, with all the help of friends and family, uh, you included, Alicia. Uh, I, I just kind of worked my way out of it mentally and I'm in a much better place right now. Uh, I'm engaging with people more virtually, mostly. Uh, I'm, I'm much more comfortable being alone in the house, which initially, I mean, it, it didn't scare me from the standpoint of worrying that somebody would break into my house or it wasn't that kind of panic. It was a panic of being alone. I had never been alone before, but, and especially at night, but now I'm well over that and uh, I'm much more, uh, I'm in a much better place mentally. I, I still, I go to the cemetery once a week. I have every single week. Uh, since she passed, uh, and I talked to her, and uh, but I'm in a much better place right now than I was before, and much more engaging. In so I think another question I have for you is, you know, anyone listening to this that has endured grief or is currently enduring the loss of someone that they loved very much. Um, you know, being the sunny side up, trying to find the light in the darkness. What, what would you say about that? What would you, how would you encourage people to get through grief that catastrophic? Yeah. Okay. Well, in, in my personal situation, it was a matter of time. Time heals. That's part of it though. Uh, it helps if you have a community to get you through it. For me personally, that helped. Another thing that I've done, and this was done virtually, was a support group for grieving people who are grieving, which I have done. And this support group, 
was facilitated by a psychologist who does this kind of thing. And I found that helpful from the standpoint, and, and I didn't do this until a couple months ago. So I waited about four months before I, I could even do it because I felt that if I went to a support group earlier, I just wouldn't be able to either contribute. Or I didn't want to talk. I, I would cry if I tried to talk. So I finally, after four months, I could get to the point where I felt that I could go to a support group with other people and, and listen and talk. And one of the things that it showed me is that there were people who are a lot worse off than me mentally at that point of their loss. These were all people that had suffered loss of either spouses or parents or people that were very close to them. So I, I think that I think that that's helpful. Uh, another thing that's been very helpful for me personally is that uh, my very best friend, uh, who we go back to high school, got we both got married the same year. And we both lost our wives this past year, five months apart. He lost his wife five months before me. So he and I have been really good for each other because, well, first of all, he had a head start to me. So he could kind of you know, help me get through the initial shock. But we maintained our closeness where we have lunch with each other once a week and we're on the phone frequently. We have, we have many of the same friends. Uh, so uh, that's been really helpful for me and for him. But that's something that just happened by coincidence for the two of us. Uh, not everybody has that kind of a advantage. So, well, and that's, that's okay. Thank you for sharing that. That's exactly what it's about is sharing all the tools so yeah. that whatever is around us when we're going through that dark time, we can tap into what's there. Yeah. And, um, I've, you know, it, you bring up such a good point that you have to lean in and, um, you, you mentioned a fog that you were feeling and nothing was really making any sense. And you had to rely on people to get you through. It, it took that connection and that um, your village, yeah. right? Yeah. You needed your village. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I'm humbled and honored to be a part of your village, Howie. And I really do mean it with all of my heart that I view the Susie and Howard Dubin love story is one of the greatest love stories of all time. I come from, I come from a beautiful family, but a family that, you know, was divorced. My mom and dad got divorced when I was 15, I think. And, you know, we all do the best we can. We all navigate life the best we can. And I think we look up to different things and, find mentorship in the strangest of places, sometimes the most unexpected places. And I'm grateful to the American Heart Association that I got to meet you and Susie. And I, I definitely, Howard, I look up to you as one of my mentors without a shadow of a doubt. 
for your love for Susie, for your ability to take care of her, for just all of the amazing things you've done. You know, so much of the conversation that we've had the past, how long have we known each other? 20? Well, you said it was 2006 that, that we met? I think I think so. So that's yeah. 15 years. Yeah. Yep. It's, but let me just um, add to what you just said. Uh, yeah. I consider you, and I really mean this, to be one of my mentors because uh, I, I have looked to you for advice and, and you've given me advice. And so I, I think it's really mutual that we mentor each other. I mean, I feel that I do mentor you and I feel, and you definitely mentor me also. But I, I wanna say something that you mentioned about you have to have a village. I wanna, I wanna mention that Susie was in the hospital in July of this past year, which was a month before she passed away. And it was her birthday while she was in the hospital and, and you knew it and, and you and I had talked. And so you made it your mission to make sure that she got messages on her birthday, uh, having to be in the hospital and so forth. And so you put out an all points bulletin on email or face, I don't know what one of your ways of doing it, which I was able to see, I think it was, maybe it was Facebook. And you said, okay, village, got a job for you. My, my, uh, my uh, godmother, Banana, is in the hospital on her birthday with, with a serious heart ailment. And I want you to acknowledge it. And I swear to you, she got about 20 to 30 birthday cards from your, and that just lit her up. I'm so glad. It just lit her up. So I'm so glad. So that was your, at that point, one of your contributions to making her very happy. You know what I love about that is I remember, thank you for reminding me. This is what I love so much. This is one of the bright spots of social media. I remember putting that out there and people reached out to me that are in the yoga community or the fitness community or just friends of mine and said, I have no idea who this woman is, but she's so important to you yeah. that I'm going to send her a card, yeah. whether it's a physical card or a message on Facebook or whatever. Right. And like that lit me up. So we start to light each other up, right? Isn't that really what it's all about? Yeah. You know, Susie walked into a room and lit up the room. We can light each other up by these little small acts of kindness that, that are never ending. That are never ending. We can we could do that, Howie. We could do that on her birthday every year. We could we could do it for somebody else, maybe somebody else that needs it. Or yeah. I think you and I'll think of a million ways to remember her. Oh yes, for sure. Oh, yes. Yeah, she for she's sure. she's a part of me and will be till my till the end of my days. There's no question about it. What was your wedding song? Our, we had our, we had a song. Our song was the shadow of your smile. Okay. I'm going to have to look it up. All right, you don't, you don't know it offhand. I don't. Are you oh, going to, can you sing it to song. us? No, I'm not going to sing <laughs> it. But it's a beautiful, beautiful okay. song. Okay. Uh, you look it up. 
anybody okay. my age who's listening to this knows the shadow of your smile. Yeah. The shadow of your smile. Okay. Okay. Yep. Well, Howard, I am eternally grateful for you sharing your heart with us today on the sunny side up and this week of Valentine's Day, the anniversary of your engagement to Susie, who is now your bride in heaven, right? Yep. Yes, absolutely. Um, thank you for joining us and being here and sharing your love and sharing your heart. Is there anything that's on your heart right now or anything that you'd like to say as we end this podcast today? Well, I thoroughly enjoyed talking to you this way, with you this way. And uh, I think that my love story with Susie is especially significant to me on Valentine's Day and around Valentine's Day. Uh, so I'm happy to share it. Uh, I felt good talking about it and I always enjoy talking to you. Well, ditto. And I, I'm not much of a crier, but I, I wondered going into this interview if, if we would be in tears. And I think it's Susie's energy around us that we're both smiling and yeah. happy to remember yeah. her. I appreciate, I appreciate <laughs> you letting me talk about her. I, I think she deserves it. I, well, 100%, she deserves it and you deserve it. And I'm really proud of you for navigating this healing journey you're going to have tough days again. And I do every once in a while, but, but most yeah. of my days now are, it, most of my days now are, are really good. Uh, I'm in a much better mm -hmm. place, but every once in a while, if I really start thinking deeply about her and I can feel almost her presence, uh, I'll have a bad day, but uh, very few and far between now, even though I think about her all the time. After Howard and I hung up, I had to immediately look up their wedding song, The Shadow of Your Smile by Tony Bennett. That's the song you hear in the background. I hope this interview leaves you with a smile, thinking of their epic love story this week of Valentine's Day. Thanks for being a part of Sunny Side Up. If you are interested in being a guest on Sunny Side Up, please email me at bornsunnysideup at gmail.com and I will send you the Google form to get started. Really excited about where this is all going. Thanks for continuing to tune in and I hope to hear from you and continue this dialogue of interesting, fascinating conversations that connect us, bring us purpose, and just really help us find the bright side of everything in life. <laughs>